Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Good evening, children of the night. Come on into the cabin. Things have dried out just a bit, but they have heated up, haven't they? Come on in, cool down, and enjoy yourselves. This week, we will hear from Tony for our fourth and final time about the state of funding for our podcast. Last week, he spoke about how common it is for us to believe that someone else will kick in the few bucks that the podcast might need for us to keep moving forward. I have to admit that there are times that I do just that. Typically, most of the podcasts that I listen to while on my way into my day job are the big boys, like This American Life, Freakonomics, Radiolab, and Josh and Chuck over at Stuff You Should Know. Some of them are funded fully by advertisers, and others rely on their listeners to pay their bills, just like us. Typically, around Christmas time, someone in my family will cut me a check instead of giving me a present. That money will then usually be turned around to give right to the podcasts I enjoy the rest of the year. Generally a small one-time gift, but we should all do what we can, right? If and when I get a raise at the day job, maybe I can join the ranks of the good people who support podcasts with monthly contributions. But until then, it's up to you for us. Let's hear from Tony. Hello, everyone. Well, we're in week four of our long campaign to try and get some support for Tales to Terrify. It's been a, a, a bumpy road and we still, you know, this is it. This is the kind of last time I'm going to come on the show, for now anyways, you know, and try and keep the lights switched on. We've got, like I say, a certain time length and if things aren't reached, 
it's it'll be you know it's it's a sorry state where we'll have to kind of close down tears to terrify just because you know a few people cannot support or won't support or just haven't got the you know all oh, right I I'll, I'll leave it till next week and I'm not blaming anyone you know it's just the kind of the nature of the beast we just people's got busy lives people forget people you know haven't got the funds but if you've got you know if you can take the time out you know a few minutes seconds basically sign up for a, a PayPal account. You know what I mean? Get get a subscription going for Tales of Terrify. It would just mean so much. It would mean that kind of Stephen and the gang can just keep on week in, week out doing this job. Monthly donations. You know, I keep harping on about monthly donations. That's how it works on Starship Sova. Monthly donations. Just 250 or 5 or like I said last week. God bless you, it's £20. It just means we can carry on doing what we do great. Do you know what I mean? Well, actually, I'll step in the background and I'll let the, kind of re- the true geniuses do what they do great. But we just need some help. Do you know what I mean? It needs to be funded. Yeah, I'm harping on. You'll be sick of us now, but, you know, repetitive. That's the way the salesmen's work. Grab your attention as well. Do you know what I mean? The show will close down. There's no ifs or buts if we don't get enough support. Nobody wants that. This show will close. I don't want that to happen. Do you know what I mean? I don't want it to happen for Larry. I don't want it to happen for Stephen and everybody else that works on the show. Do you know what I mean? I've lost two. You know what I mean? And like I say, I didn't push them and I didn't kind of do this kind of aggressive support, you know, where we need donations. This time, Tails is kind of cutting deep in me. It needs support. You know what I mean? I'm not going to kind of let this go. It has to have support. It has to keep going. It's one of the fundamental horror podcasts out there. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of won awards. It's kind of started from the 15. You know all the kind of spiel, but let's just get some support for it. Do you know what I mean? Just dig in. 250 a, w- a month. Do you know I was going to say a week there? That would be nice. Or a fiver. You know what I mean? You wouldn't believe how a fiver can help. You know what I mean? A month. One fa- five pound would just be fantastic. Give up two cappuccinos. That's all it is. That's all it is to just kind of... You know, and it's kind of loose change money. It's not, I know, it's not for some people, but for, you know, most in this kind of modern day, like £2.50, what, what's, you know what I mean? You lose that down the set E. Kids pinch it out of my pockets. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, it would go a long, long way if you just sign up for a monthly donation and make start, you know, Starships or make Tales to Terrify keep going. It's, it's what everybody wants. Do you know what I mean? But like I mentioned last week's show, you know what I mean? Everybody thinks everybody else is doing it. But in, in reality, there is so few people supporting Tales to Terrify. We don't want to lose it. You know, it's, it, it, it's a show that kind of means a lot. And here I'm going to pull out a little bit and just reminisce, you know, and give you a kind of heads up why it means a lot to me as well. Because before I even started Starship Sova, before I even kind of picked up my first science fiction book, I was reading horror. Do you know what I mean? I kind of, my world was kind of Clive Barker's Books of Blood. You know, I kind of lived into that kind of world and then I, I kind of fell off the rails and I went, I had a kind of bit of a kind of health issues there and just went through total anxiety kind of ridden life for about, well, it's, it's still here now and I'm kind of, you know what I mean? This was kind of probably when I was 22, something like that. But literature got me through the kind of the dark times. Do you know what I mean? Being in, funny as it is, being in Clive Barker's Books of Blood world was a comfort. Do you know what I mean? It's, it so helped to get over those kind of hurdles, to kind of wallow in kind of hellraisers, you know what I mean? Which is a bizarre thing, but it just meant so much to us. Do you know what I mean? 
And then I kind of, you know, I fell into Clive Barker's Weave World, which just was just outstanding. Do you know what I mean? So these, you know, literature kind of can help people in dark places. Do you know what I mean? And I get so many emails. Honestly, I'm not joking here. So many emails. Why Tales to Terrify? You know, why Starship Sova is good? It helps people over difficult times. We've been there now, do you know what I mean, for so long. We're part of the kind of the national psyche in kind of genre fiction, do you know what I mean? And we've helped a lot of people get over some dark times. And that, do you know what I mean? Why not keep on going, do you know what I mean? For that one sole reason alone. So, listen, last time I'm going to be on, I might come on, you know, a week or two's time, tell you how the kind of funding's going. But this is it. You know, if we don't get the funding, this is it. It, it goes. And it'll be a sorry state do you know what I mean? If we lose tales to terrify, a sorry state indeed. Help out. Grim words, but we'll get there. Let's move on to our fiction. Our first story of the evening will be from Ray Robiel. He's a new author, but already has a few stories published on online magazines such as fictiononthewebco.uk. Link will be in the show notes and Dark Edifice. He lives in Coventry, Rhode Island, with his two kids and has quite the affection for horror. Chapter 1 47 years. I've lived here 47 years, Blanche repeated. Your father is turning over in his grave right now watching you do this to me. She shifted her weight in the old rocking chair. Gary wasn't about to have this same old conversation all over again. Mom, we went over this already. The plans are already made. You move in two weeks. Blanche started coughing, and Gary gave her the box of tissues that was on the coffee table. It's just not right, damn it! She was getting worked up. Gary tried to be reassuring. Assisted living isn't what it used to be. There are game nights, movie nights, and 24-hour care, which is what you need. But we have to talk about all these cats. Looking around the dimly lit living room, he saw no fewer than 15 of them milling about. There were all kinds, too. There were furry ones, hairless ones, and kittens of all different colors. Gary was convinced he had to get through to her. Listen, Mom, we have two weeks to find these cats a new home. I think it would be better for families to adopt them, but they need to be gone. If not, he paused, I'm going to have to call animal control and have them removed. Blanche was terrified at the thought of harm coming to any of her children. After her husband passed away 22 years ago and Gary moved out, Her cats were all she had left. Amazingly, they had flocked to her front door almost continuously, as if realizing she needed the companionship. I took the liberty of putting an ad in the paper and posting a sign for free cats on the tree out front. You can even pick out the families. I know these cats are important to you, Mom, but we have to do this now. Blanche looked sadly at the cats, then back at Gary. If it must be, then it must be. 
She lit another cigarette and stared out the dirty window at the bird feeder hanging on the tree. I'm tired now, son. I want to go to sleep. Gary got up and kissed his mother on the forehead. I love you, Mom. I'll check on you in a couple of days and see how you're making out. Blanche heard the door close and the car pull out of the driveway. She was grief-stricken. She rocked back and forth for a few more minutes, contemplating all that was about to take place. Then she noticed the time, five o'clock. Feeding time. She slowly got up with the help of her walker and went to the kitchen. Feeding 27 cats was no easy feat. She took great care to cook the meals for her kids. They emerged from all corners of the house, knowing that supper was coming. Like little kids, they ran about the kitchen, meowing and chasing each other. After about ten minutes, they were quietly enjoying the feast she had prepared. Every once in a while, they would fight over a morsel, and she would hear hissing and low growls. Blanche wasn't finished yet. There was one more cat she had to feed. His food was specially made. She opened a drawer next to the stove and took out a dead mouse. She took great care to place it in the center of the plate, then drenched it in tuna fish juice. After adding a couple of cat treats for garnish, she looked at the dinner with pleasure, like a chef looking at his greatest creation. She poured milk into a bowl and headed for the basement door. Can't forget about you, Mr. Tibbs, she said as she unlocked and opened the door. She had never seen Mr. Tibbs, but knew he was there. It had been years since she had the strength to go down the old basement stairs, but she would hear him down there. He would meow often, sometimes almost howling. If she sat still long enough and closed her eyes, she could even hear the soothing sound of his purring. Every day she would open the basement and place the food and milk on the first step, and the next day it would be gone. She had tried to imagine what he looked like. She even left the basement door open, hoping he would come up and join her growing family. But Mr. Tibbs didn't like the other kids. They would sneak down there and never come back. So after a while, she decided to keep the door shut and locked. Some kids are just loners, she concluded. Chapter 2 Over the next two weeks, families would visit Blanche and adopt one of her cats. She cried every time one of them would leave. Snowball, Skittles... Velvet, Pepper, Kitty, and many more left her house to start a new life in a new home. Although Blanche knew they would enjoy their new homes, she couldn't help but feel her life emptying out with every cat that left her care. She compared it to the day Gary left the nest all those years ago, times twenty-seven. Every afternoon at five o'clock, she would prepare the day's meal. 
However, she couldn't handle the fact that there were fewer and fewer cats coming to dinner. She would watch them play in the kitchen and occasionally fight over the feast she had meticulously prepared, wondering which one would be the next to go. Through it all, Mr. Tibbs remained the constant. She would feed him every afternoon like clockwork, and she decided that he would be with her till the end. He was her little secret, and no one would take him from her. She sat in the dark, dusty living room each evening, waiting for the day when she would have to move. It was as if she were a murderer on death row, waiting for her execution. She would flip through her photo albums, thinking about days gone by, reminiscing while she played classic records on the record player. The scratchy sound of the music soothed her soul and took her to a place gone long ago. She knew what moving to a nursing home meant. Most of her friends from years ago had moved in there and had since died there, their will to live sucked away by the mundane day-to-day existence. She had to feel needed, if not by her son, by the cats that kept her company. She had a purpose each day, a reason to exist. She laughed, loved, cared, and felt like the cats needed her company. That's a feeling she hadn't felt since her husband was alive, and now it was all about to come to an end. How dare he take my life away like this, she thought. After all I have done for him... Blanche was furious with Gary... She knew he just wanted the house, not to live there, mind you. But she knew he would sell it and waste the money on fancy sports cars, women, booze, or drugs. She had tried her best to raise him right, but had recently realized that he had squandered all she had taught him. His visits were sporadic at best, and until a month ago, non-existent. She figured the money had dried up and he had decided to trade in his own mother for the house. Unforgivable, she thought. She would sit there so long sometimes that she would fall asleep in the rocking chair, sometimes with a lit cigarette in her hand. One time she had dropped a cigarette onto the rug, burning a hole in it. She never told Gary and covered it up with a smaller rug. Last thing she wanted was to give him another reason to send her off to her death. The only constant in her life was Mr. Tibbs. She could hear him purring through the basement door, and that made her feel good. In a way, they were very much alike. He depended on her for the food every day, In effect, she was his mother. He would be lonely and would die without her. That basement was his entire world. She wondered what Mr. Tibbs would do without her. The thought of abandoning him scared her. She decided that when the last cat was adopted, she would unlock the basement door and leave it open. 
She hoped he would feel comfortable enough to finally come upstairs and join her in the living room. Blanche surmised that he must be afraid of the other cats. Certainly he loved her, and she wanted to see him one time before she left for good. She wanted him to jump in her lap and let her pet him. She wanted to thank him for all the years he had kept her company and then let him go free to find his own home. He deserved that. Let him pick his own family, she thought. It's funny. The older we get, the faster time goes by. Blanche was moving in three days. The last cat, Snuggles, had left her house earlier that afternoon. She could finally put her plan into action. She felt a small measure of excitement at the thought of finally seeing Mr. Tibbs and had planned for this for days. She slowly made her way to the kitchen and fixed him the usual feast of a mouse covered in tuna juice and a bowl of milk. She paused for a moment and thought about how the usual hustle and bustle of feeding time was gone. The house was deadly silent now, and all she could hear was Mr. Tibbs rustling around in the basement. Undoubtedly, he was excited about the prospect of meeting her, too. Blanche unlocked the basement door for the last time. She placed the food in the opening of the doorway instead of the first step down. She called to him, Mr. Tibbs. She waited for him to run up the stairs into her arms. Mr. Tibbs, she called to him again. Still no answer. She walked to the kitchen and grabbed a flashlight that was in the top drawer and returned to the top of the stairs. She shined the light down, but saw nothing. She could hear him for sure, but he wouldn't show himself. Maybe the lights upstairs are scary for him, she thought. She shut off the lights in the hallway, living room, and kitchen. She stood at a distance for what seemed like an hour, waiting for him to come up and eat. After a while, she felt the strength in her legs leaving her. She slowly and carefully went to the living room and pushed her rocking chair into the kitchen across from the basement door. She sat down with her flashlight and cigarettes and waited. The sound of him purring seemed to get louder and louder. It was so soothing that it was making her sleepy. She finished her cigarette, put her head back, and drifted off to sleep. Chapter 3 Blanche awoke with a start. It was completely dark in the old house. For a moment she couldn't tell if she was sleeping or awake. She sat there trying to get her bearings and figure out why she was blind. Then she remembered everything. Mr. Tibbs, the lights, the food. Oh, yeah, the flashlight. She reached out for the table beside her and felt for it. She grabbed the flashlight, turned it on, and shined the light towards the open basement door. The food bowl was empty. 
and the milk was spilled on the floor. Blanche was thrilled. This meant that Mr. Tibbs had indeed come up the stairs while she was sleeping. Mr. Tibbs, she whispered, dancing the light around the kitchen. She leaned forward in her rocking chair and listened intently. Mr. Tibbs, she spoke a little louder this time. Suddenly she heard a noise from behind her. It sounded like the pitter-patter of little paws running across the floor. She swung her head around towards the sound. The flashlight must have just missed him. Blanche leaned forward and slowly stood up. At her ripe old age, it took a minute for her legs to work correctly. She grabbed her walker and turned around towards the kitchen table. She had a fleeting thought to turn on the kitchen light, but decided against it, not wanting to frighten him. She spoke in the direction of the table. It's okay, Mr. Tibbs. It's Mama. Come on out, dear. She could hear him purring, and it seemed to be coming from under the table. With her back the way that it was, she was unable to bend down, but she had another idea. She walked quietly over to the drawer that kept the mice she fed him. She pulled one out and tossed it towards the table. You hungry, Mr. Tibbs? There you go. I've got you a nice juicy mouse. Her flashlight was trained intently on the mouse, which sat just in her view. She waited, not saying a word, Then she saw a paw come out from under the table. There you are, Mr. Tibbs. The paw was rather large, covered with dark matted fur. It reached out, snatched the mouse, and pulled it under the table. She could hear Mr. Tibbs enjoying the mouse. She smiled softly. See, isn't that good? Mr. Tibbs let out a low, long meow. She stepped a little closer to the table, and Mr. Tibbs let out a loud growl. It's okay, boy, Blanche said, desperately wanting to pet him. Suddenly, he shot out from under the table, and she felt a sharp pain in her foot as he scratched her. She was taken aback and lost her balance, dropping the flashlight and tumbling to the floor. She had hit her head on the table on the way down, and there was a trickle of blood flowing from it. She cried in pain, unable to move. She was disoriented, the only light coming from the flashlight shining out of the kitchen and down the hallway. She tried to move. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, 
a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Move towards it, but couldn't move. The pain in her hip was excruciating. She looked up and tried to focus on what was in front of her. There, in the basement doorway, she saw what she thought was Mr. Tibbs. His eyes were staring straight back at her. They were large eyes, completely red with no pupils. She let out a weak scream at the terrifying sight in front of her. He was purring louder than ever. She couldn't see him completely, but noticed he had a large silhouette. A part of her still had an interest in petting him, but a larger part was fearful. She looked into his eyes, and he stared right back at her. It was like he was staring into her soul. The hairs stood up on the back of her head as she slowly realized that Mr. Tibbs wasn't what she had thought he was at all. He was pure evil. She closed her eyes a moment, trying to clear her head. When she reopened them, Mr. Tibbs was six feet closer, still sitting there purring at her. Those eyes were piercing her head and making her freeze in terror. She reached up and touched her head where the wound was, the blood was starting to make its way down her face. She blinked again, this time afraid to open her eyes for fear of what she would find. Upon opening them, Mr. Tibbs was sitting within feet of her now, with the same red eyes, the same purring. She reached out her hand towards him. Mr. Tibbs, it's your mommy. It's okay. Come here. She mustered all of her strength to reach out further towards him, almost touching his face. Mr. Tibbs stared at her, purring with his ears up, looking content. He leaned in and licked her finger. He was purring so loud Blanche could hardly hear anything else. She smiled a little, ignoring the pain and the fear she was feeling. I knew he loved me, she thought. Suddenly, she realized he was licking the blood off of her fingers. She looked at his eyes, blood red and evil. Mr. Tibbs suddenly looked up at her and his ears went flat. He let out an ear-piercing scream and lunged at Blanche with all his power, claws out. Throughout the house, the sounds of Blanche screaming and Mr. Tibbs hissing and crying were all that could be heard. Chapter 4 
Blanche awoke feeling groggy. She opened her eyes and found herself in a hospital room all bandaged up. She had difficulty remembering what had happened. Did I faint? Did I have a heart attack? Just then Gary and a doctor came into the room. Gary sat on the edge of the bed and held her hand. Hey, Mom, there you are. You gave me quite a scare. How are you feeling? What happened? she asked. It seems you fell in the kitchen and banged your head. Pretty bad, too. Do you remember anything else? Blanche thought for a moment. Had she dreamed Mr. Tibbs? Maybe she had. I don't remember much. She thought for a moment more. Instant flashbacks to the red glowing eyes of Mr. Tibbs had convinced her she hadn't imagined it. Mr. Tibbs was more than just a misunderstood cat. He was the reincarnation of something evil. She felt her neck and her arms. All were scratched up and bandaged. I stopped by this morning to see how you were making out and found you on the floor. You were thrashing about, scratching yourself, yelling, Get away! Get away! The paramedics had to sedate you. He looked at her curiously. You don't remember any of this? No, no, I don't. The last thing I remember was hitting the floor. I slipped on the tiles, I think. Well, I talked to the doctor, and he thinks it's best if you go directly to the assisted living center after you're released here. I agree, Mom. Your health is most important to me. Just then, the doctor interrupted. He motioned to Gary, If we can talk outside for a moment. They stepped outside and left her alone. Blanche was lying, of course. She remembered everything about last night and everything about Mr. Tibbs. She wondered where he was. She assumed he probably slinked back to the basement after the vicious attack. Certainly they would label her as crazy if she told them about the evil cat lurking about her house. This was best kept to herself. Gary is strong enough to deal with Mr. Tibbs, should they meet, she thought. Gary came back in and walked to her bedside. I'm going to go now, Mom. I'll stop by the house tonight and get some of your things. They are going to transport you to the center in a few minutes. Get settled in, and I'll talk to you later. He kissed her on the forehead and headed for the door. Gary, she said. Be careful, son. Gary nodded, not understanding her concern. That night, Blanche was wheeled into her new apartment. It was so bright and modern, none of the comforts of home. Part of her was sad that the last years of her life would be spent in this place, and part of her was relieved that she didn't have to see that devil cat ever again. She could smell the fresh paint on the walls, a far cry from the cat and dust smell she was used to. 
The nurses helped her from the wheelchair to the bed. Now, Blanche, everything you need is right here, she said, pointing to the nightstand. Sure enough, there was the TV remote, her pills, a bottle of water, and a chain that hung above the bed. My name is Amanda. Just pull that chain if you need anything, okay? Your walker is right here if you need to go to the bathroom or the kitchen. I'll be in later to check on you. The nurse smiled warmly. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Your son called to make sure you made it okay. He said he'll bring your things later tonight. Thank you, dear, Blanche replied. By the way, where can I smoke around here? The nurse turned and gave her a judgmental look. Now, Blanche, we're going to help you quit. But for now, call me and I'll take you outside, okay? Okay. Blanche turned off the lamp beside the bed and drifted off to sleep. Hours later, she was suddenly awakened by the sound of a door closing. She opened her eyes and she was in pitch black. What was going on? Was all of this just a dream? Was she back in her house? She slowly remembered where she was. In the darkness, she could make out some of her pictures neatly set up on the dresser across from her bed. Next to them was her record player. She smiled to think that Gary had been thoughtful enough to bring some of her favorite things. The sound of the phone ringing startled her. It rang a few times, but by the time she found the phone, it had gone to the answering machine. She listened to the message. Hey, Mom, it's Gary. I hope you're settling in okay. I stopped by the house and brought you some things you might like. Hopefully that place will start to feel like home after a while. Don't worry, they are real nice people. You were sleeping when I got there and I didn't want to wake you. He paused for a moment. Blanche was smiling. Maybe she was wrong about him. Maybe he did care and love her. Gary continued. Oh, you'll never believe this. I talked to the administrator and she said you could have one pet. I know you miss your cats, so I took the liberty of bringing you the last one left in the house. He should be running around there somewhere. The name on his tag is Mr. Tibbs. Kind of a weird name, but a really cute cat. I can see why you kept him. Anyway, enjoy. Love you, Mom. Blanche's eyes got as big as silver dollars. She couldn't breathe. She couldn't scream. She lay motionless in the bed, frozen by fear. She could hear his purring now, moving closer and closer, louder and louder. She closed her eyes again, hoping it was all a dream. She dared not open them, for she was afraid of what she would see. She heard him meow, a happy meow, she thought. She slowly opened her eyes. There he was sitting at the end of her bed, staring at her with those large, blood-red eyes. 
His ears were flat. His tail was wagging. And he let out a menacing hiss. She reached up and grabbed the chain with all her might as Mr. Tibbs lunged in for the kill. Amanda was tending to patients at the end of the hall and wouldn't see the blinking red help light that was on the control panel until it was too late. That was Ray Rabio's Mr. Tibbs as read by Maureen McLean. Maureen McLean is an interpreter, translator, voice talent, continuing education instructor, and, let's not forget, bass player from Austin, Texas. Thank you, Maureen. Our second story of the night comes from Bryn Forte. Bryn is a veteran of the 1970s British glory years of horror anthologies. Bryn Forte's most recent appearance was in the Alchemy Press Book of Ancient Wonders, 2012. He has two stories in Shadow Publishing's Horror, Under the Tombstones, spring 2013. Bryn currently does not have an online presence to link to. But let's move on to Bryn's story, Therapy. The self-help group was, theoretically, free from official participation or interference. Of those who accepted such guidelines were indeed being adhered to, some thought that the mad had finally taken over the asylum. Others thought it likely that covert infiltration had placed sleepers within the group. That way, subtle directives could steer the patients along prescribed lines towards set conclusions. McCourt considered that personal self-help would be impossible until the indescribable fusion of the Bush-Blair axis could be persuaded to rerun the Iraq conundrum on a time-lapse loop until a successful outcome could be achieved. Am I a patient or an agent provocateur? He wondered. Maps marking the narcotic nation of Afghanistan had been distributed the day before, with suggested routes for the British share of the ever-increasing poppy crop. Being of specific interest to those with drug trauma backgrounds, McCourt had experienced mixed Kabul, Baghdad, morphine flashbacks, though whether or not they were really his remained to be seen. Lie with me, invited Yvette, spreading her legs in an apparent search for optimum geometric angles. Even her vulval cleft seemed to be seeking a positional advantage. Yvette's head and face were enveloped in permanent shadow, her features blurring into darkness, though the rest of her could be seen in natural clarity, a small piece of night that accompanied her always. McCourt had first noticed her in the hospital library, daubing slogans on the walls, but no one else had commented, and he wasn't sure if anyone other than himself actually acknowledged her existence. Lie with me, she repeated, but he continued to hesitate. Would physical contact prove flesh-and-blood reality or merely increase the depth of his own paranoia? He felt it best not to put it to the test. Later, walking in the walled flower garden, McCourt studied the faces of both Bush and Blair as cultivated by green-fingered patient gardeners. Was I really in Iraq? he wondered. Or Afghanistan? If so, was it as invader, resident, or observer? Was he now an asylum inmate or an asylum seeker? Were there really secret watchers studying his every move? The playhouse was home to the Theater of Normality, 
a movement that showcased the normal by featuring members of the public on stage while actors became the audience. Trasker visited there on a regular basis, finding definite parallels between the staged dramas and what was taking place within the self-help therapy group. Arriving, he saw that the stage had been decorated as a Baghdad open market. Some, Trasker amongst them, took up stallholder positions, while others adopted stances best suited to reflect both formal and informal patterns of tension. Who knew when or where the insurgents might strike? The actors who filled into the theater seats were all wearing George Bush masks. For over an hour, the two sections watched each other with a growing sense of unease. Then, as one, the mask wearers rose and threw cardboard rockets at the stage. People dropped to the floor, ran for cover, shouted in panic, as if expecting real explosions. Even Trasker couldn't suppress an involuntary shudder as he automatically ducked his head. When they left, many expected a war zone to be waiting and were disorientated to find the streets peaceful. The man called Tex nodded slowly. Nam, he said. Now that was really a war. His eyes glazed wistfully. Saigon, he continued. Now that really was a city. Black market fortunes made and lost daily and all the sex a good old boy from the Lone Star State could want. Slitty-eyed darlings. Hot, slitty pussies, every one. The court doubted he was even American, let alone a Vietnam veteran. Are you getting any benefit from the self-help group? He asked. No need, I'm okay, but if it keeps the Pentagon happy. Pentagon? queried McCourt. Docs, nurses, managers, wherever the power lies. Right, I get it. So did I, in Nam. Lucy Lou, I called her. Not a proper name, but near enough. There was nothing that girl wouldn't do for me, and I mean nothing. McCourt studied the alignment of feet, legs, hands, arms, shoulders, head, neck, torso. Searching for the errors of construction, he felt certain were present in this man's physiology. You ever had a girl like that? The question took McCourt by surprise, and he replied, Yvette, without thinking, though immediately regretted doing so. Tex lifted quizzical eyebrows, inviting further elaboration, and McCourt wondered if this might be an opportunity to see if others saw her as he did. The girl with the nighttime face, he offered as an explanation. Tex's expression went from quizzical to puzzled. Do you mean come to bed eyes? he asked, but McCourt was already leaving the room. Returning late to the hospital, Trasker found the reception area plastered with Bush and Blair wanted posters. None of the photographs had been selected with flattery in mind. He was immediately reminded of McCourt's description of this particular twosome. Bush, a brain operating two sentences slower than his mouth. Blair, from fawn to poodle in two easy lessons. Though at first look haphazard, a closer examination indicated that specific geometric patterns had governed the placing of the posters, maybe even endorsing elements of possible future hostility the interpretation of which was beyond Trasker's present understanding. The hospital, never the most welcoming of buildings, seemed suddenly more oppressive than ever. If bricks and mortar were sentient, he thought wryly, such doom and gloom feelings could be credited to a practical causation. As it was, he could blame only his own state of mind. With disjointed and ill-at-ease hand movements, 
Trasker started to hurriedly remove the posters from where they hung. Korea, said Tex. That was really a war. He stopped pacing, momentarily lost in thought. Seoul, he continued. That really was a city. Treated us like kings. Defenders of the 38th parallel. Trasker nodded encouragement. Did you get it? asked Tex. Get what? It. What? Tex shook his head. You didn't get it. Obviously not. I did, said Tex. In Korea, Wang Ho, I called her. Not her proper name, but near enough. Nothing that girl wouldn't do for me, and I mean nothing. Did you love her? asked Trasker. Love? Tex responded. Slitty-eyed darlings, hot slitty pussies. I love them all, each and every one. You know, remarked Trasker, you don't look old enough to have fought in Korea. I lied about my age, said Tex. McCourt and Yvette sat on plastic chairs in the walled garden. She was wearing a brightly colored summer frock, and he longed to ask her why her head was always in darkness, but was afraid of what the answer might be. Plus, he still wasn't sure she was really there. So he stayed with familiar rants. The tyrant was toppled, but the people still died. Yvette beckoned. Come here and slide your hand under my dress. The war was won, but the peace was lost, he continued doggedly. Stroke my correctly angled left side inner thigh. The war on terror has no zonal boundaries. I'm wearing nothing under my dress. He gripped the plastic armrest so tightly he thought his nails were going to penetrate the shiny surface. Bush and Blair disenfranchised the political intelligentsia by their dangerous oversimplification of the genre. He continued, grinding out the words. All right, McCourt, said Yvette. You will crack one day. I'll wait. Why do you spy on him so much? asked Tex, feeling an awkward watching the watcher embarrassment. He stood alongside the man at the window looking down into the walled garden. He is fast reaching a redefining of his potential for violence as opposed to his need for absolution, replied Trasker. His cross-fertilized landscaping of recent battle zones has culminated in extreme visions, which may or may not be his, but will soon reach some sort of conclusion. Battle zones? Afghanistan. Afghanistan? echoed Tex. That really was a war. Iraq, continued Trasker. Iraq? That really was a war. McCourt sat upright, muttering words they couldn't hear. He sees Bush and Blair as terrorists, said Trasker. Tex shook his head slowly. Aren't they going to give those two some sort of award? They are indeed, specially struck medals to honor their contribution to world peace. To world what? I know, amazing, isn't it? There's going to be a big presentation ceremony at the Royal Albert Hall. McCourt won't be pleased with that. Trasker nodded. It might even be sufficient to trigger some sort of endgame. The van was a metallic blue Daihatsu high-jet diesel with twin loading side doors and a fully opening back. Not that such trivia mattered. The van was functional. End of story. That's it then, soldier, said Tex, now dressed in army fatigues. I knew my old contacts would come in handy one day. Thanks, Tex said McCourt through the open van window. I still don't believe you fought in all those wars, and I think you might be more Tyneside than Texan. But none of this could have happened without you. As McCourt started the engine, Tex stepped back 
came to attention and saluted. Trasker, from his high vantage point, felt a twinge of regret that his function was now only that of observation. The shaping of events had passed to others. Pure normalism, he muttered quietly, switching from binoculars to telescope, keen to keep the van in view for as long as possible. McCork glanced at Yvette as he drove through the open hospital gates. Just you and me, then, he said. It always has been, she replied. Are you coming for the whole journey? I think not, she replied. This encapsulates an area of your most personal and private needs. I'll not intrude. She said no more, and when he next glanced at the passenger seat, it was empty. Yvette had been right, though. He could see that. This was all about his acceptance of the role he now embraced. It was about himself, them, and the Accuracy International Super Magnum Lapua rifle hidden in the back of the van. Driving carefully yet purposefully, McCourt headed towards London, towards what waited for him at the Royal Albert Hall. That was Bryn Forte's Therapy, as read by Jay Wollert. We heard from Jay just a few episodes ago with his narration in episode 180. Jay Wollert is a voice talent available for commercials, promos, trailers, book narration, animations, video games, PSAs, business products, and so forth. Link to his Blogspot website will be in the show notes. Thank you, Jay. And that will be our show for the evening. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.